Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast unlike any other. It is the Wednesday before the Masters edition of Fairway Rollin'. The golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. As has become our own tradition unlike any other, on the line, Justin Ray, and of course our homeboy, the PGA Tour correspondent on the ground is Nathan Hubbard. We're going to walk over to the first tee. It looks beautiful. Tee Olive, they call this hole as we stroll over here at Augusta National. It's wide open. Let's go ahead and take a swing. My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rollin' presented by FanDuel. Major season is here and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets, download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, JR, what's happening, buddy? It's the Masters. It's 2020. It's really happening. Seven months late, but we're finally here. It's better than nothing, isn't it? It is better than nothing. <laughs> you're, you're Mate, what, you're, what's wrong with you, buddy? <laughs> you're cuddling the master's lawn gnome like it's your baby. <laughs> <laughs> How else am I supposed to do this? Are I, you going to do I, the whole pod like that? I am. Uh, yes. Gonna, I have to click off the Zoom so I'm not looking at it <laughs> or I'm not going to be able to do this. Nate. <laughs> this is the most important fairway rolling podcast of the year. We are actually going to try and give all our birdie buddies, our par saving pals, our Eagle enthusiasts out there, some good guidance and advice on what to do with their hard earned capital. That's why JR is here. And that's why the gnome is sitting here on my breast and he's well, not going to move. Well, we have the right guy for it. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to begin with uh, behind the scenes, I had promised Jr. Uh, a case of beer because we had a nice thing going along here with Heineken and 
God bless them. We got some some beautiful green bottles lined up for this week, right on theme and right on cue. But we have another reason to celebrate. Not only is the Masters, if you've been following Justin Ray's Twitter, and if you're not, you are uh, out of line and out of order. You know that Justin Ray and his family have a reason to celebrate. I'm very glad I sent him a case of beer. Justin, congratulations on the baby on the way, homeboy. Thank you very much. We're we're absolutely ecstatic. It's my wife and I's first, so we're uh, we're very happy. Thank you for that. I appreciate well, it. Well, House is showing you how to hold the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that it adds. He's in his attic too, so this, it just adds to a whole aesthetic. That's he's just, hiding from the rest of his family, so he's teaching <laughs> you a lot about how it's going to be. That that's true. This is a good life lesson for the next twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> Got to find my own attic and my own. Found your spot. That's exactly myself right. With. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we uh, we kind of ran through some storylines earlier this week here on Fairway Rolling. We had Jason Sobel over from the Action Network Golf Bet, and uh, you know it's a very content rich environment this week because of how unlike this event is compared to all uh, of of the previous, you know decades of, of the master's competition. Um, we always with you, Justin, start off by sort of talking about your analytics approach to, um, this. And I'm interested in hearing whether or not you've had to toggle any of the factors as you've sort of sized up this week's event and, and kind of try to come up with a way to measure performance. Well, if you listen to a lot of the top players this week, they've talked about how, um, in the fall, Augusta national typically plays a little bit longer. Um, and that's something that we, we definitely took a little bit into account. The problem with that is that, uh, we're not expecting particularly cold temperatures. It's actually supposed to be a little bit warmer in the forecast next to for this week than it was in April of 2019. So kind of throw that out the window a little bit, but the more significant thing forecast wise is obviously going to be the rain. That's, that's kind of permeated the previous, the two days leading in and then uh, going into the week, Jordan Spieth said yesterday, um, that he thought it looked totally baked out, which is basically an, it indicates that the masters is getting ready for the rain that's about to come. So it's, so it's got a little bit, they're trying to balance it out in advance. So, um, you know, we don't have to do a whole lot leading into, uh, to change our kind of forecast models based on time of year. Um, we think Augusta national should play, you know, about the same, you know, you might see it be a little bit longer, but that wetness is certainly, it's something that's going to add some distance to it. I think it was Kevin Kisner yesterday who said, it was going to be brutal or use some kind of adjective like that to describe how long it's going to play for somebody who's a little bit on the shorter side like Kevin is. So um, that's, that's certainly the interesting aspect of it. The other thing that I think is going to be interesting is, you know, we had 30 straight years where the master's champion has been inside the top five entering the final round. And some of that is, you know, due to the, the strength of the leaderboard, the birdie opportunities on the back nine. But Phil Mickelson said something really interesting earlier this week. And it was about how the wind kind of dies down late in the afternoon, typically um, during those final, those weekend rounds at the masters with the, you know, it, we're going to be playing earlier in the day in on Saturday and Sunday because of daylight savings, because of the way it's structured for TV. Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing to look forward to, because I, I think that might open up some more opportunities for players to come back from a little bit further uh, in the final round. So just a couple of things to look forward to. Obviously the split T setup is totally different. Um, you know, uh, do we call it, you're supposed to call it Augusta national, the first nine and the second nine, not the front nine or the back nine, but is it still the second nine when you're teeing off on 10? 
Like, I don't know. Like, you got to throw that out there. Like, I, I, I'm not sure about the vernacular there if, it, if we stick the same way. So um, a, a lot of interesting things that are going to be a little bit different uh, with this starting in November. So, Justin, this is historically always been talked about as a second shot golf course. Uh, it feels like, especially if there's going to be some lift clean in place, it's definitely going to be a second shot golf course. But can you just talk about the data that backs that up? I know you love ball strikers this week and probably the best one over the past two years in particular, which I'll let you talk about later. But what's the data that supports this being a second shot course? Well, like you said, you know, conversationally, we've heard that for generations about it being a second shot golf course. And now over the last five years or so, we've got the empirical data that really backs it up. So um, we've got strokes gained information shot by shot for the last five years now at the Masters. The player to lead the field in strokes gained approach at Augusta National the last five years has finished first, first, second, third, and then Tiger Woods first last year. Hmm. And if that doesn't stand out to you, I don't know what will. I mean, you've got to hit iron shots, Chris. You've got to know where to leave your iron shots at Augusta National, where to put it, where to miss. Um, getting yourself on the low side of the hole to give yourself scoring opportunities and not put yourself in a position where it's going to be brutally difficult to make par. So um, we always talk about, for years, it feels like I heard the best putter at Augusta National wins the tournament. Truly, it's who's putting themselves on those greens in the best positions, and that's that's through superior iron play. So that's the number one thing that I looked at uh, look at in terms of player form and and trends going into the week. Who's Who are the strongest iron players heading into Augusta? And let me just follow up on that because I watched Bryson's press conference today and he took us through the iron in that he's going to have on every single hole. So on one, even in wet conditions, he said he's going to have 60 or 70 yards in. On two, it's a seven iron. On three, he can get to the green. Five, it's an eight or nine iron. Seven is a wedge. Eight is going to be his longest iron in. That's a six iron. Nine, it's a 53 or 48 degree wedge. 10, it's a nine iron at worst. 11, it's a pitching wedge. 13, it's a pitching wedge. 15, it's an eight iron. 17, into the wind, it's an eight iron. And 18, he's going to hit it over those bunkers on the left where the patrons usually are. So he has a wedge coming in. So does that change the notion of whether it's a second shot golf course? Uh, so I'll say this, um, you know, we went well, going into winged foot, we were kind of debating whether or not Bryson's distance would be a big advantage because of how penalizing the rough was. And I think on the surface that kind of made sense, but then you look at it a little bit further and you could kind of understand the approach that Bryson and his team took going into the week. If the rough is penalizing everywhere, all over the golf courts, regardless of how close you are. Bryson is having less of a, it's less of a detriment for him to hit in the rough when he's 70 yards out than it is for a player from 110 or when Bryson is 120 and a player's got to hit, you know, a player shorter than him has got to hit five or six iron into a green. That penalty is much more severe. So there's that built-in advantage with the distance because the rough is so penalizing. Augusta National, statistically, the rough's impact is is negligible. There's no golf course in professional golf where the rough is le- the second cut, I apologize, it's Masters Week, I've got to get my terminology straight, where the second cut is less penalizing than at Augusta National. So that built-in advantage that Bryson was able to identify winged foot and used brilliantly well um, isn't necessarily baked into Augusta National. There's just not that, you know, the difference between 
let's say a Dustin Johnson hitting a nine iron and Bryson hitting a sandwich or Xander Shoffley hitting an eight iron and Bryson hitting a pitching wedge, that difference isn't as large as maybe it would have been at wing foot where the rough was really penalizing. So um, that's, that's, he could definitely prove me completely wrong and just go nuts and rip the place to pieces. And all my theories will go out the window. I I'm okay with admitting I'm wrong if that happens, but I'll have to wait to see it, to, to see it in action because just statistically speaking, I think it's less significant to hit the ball a really long way at Augusta than it would have been at Wingfoot. Well, even he's has said throughout the course of the week that it's really about his chipping and putting at this course. And that here, unlike winged foot, winged foot, he had to do a lot of sort of flop shots out of that thick rough. Here, he's going to have to do a lot more bump and run. Won't have the benefit of the greens book, although he seemed to feel like his best putting has come when he's used his intuition more so than the greens books. But he, even he has been downplaying a little bit the, the value of that distance this week. It's just hard to think about this second shot golf course if he's got basically wedges into all of the most difficult holes. I don't know, House. Where do you come out on that? That is uh, right, but the thing that we've been discussing for a handful of weeks now is how important it is to make your three-footers to six-footers to 12-footers at Augusta National and Bryson's particular experience at Augusta has not inspired confidence that he's going to be able to make those putts. And in fact, it is our homeboy sitting right here with us, Justin Ray, who had the the stat. What what let's get the stat exactly right rather than me trying to repeat it and bungle it, JR. <laughs> so over the last three years, there are 58 players who have played eight or more rounds at Augusta National. Of those 58 players, Bryson ranks 58th in strokes gained putting dead last. So it, it boils down to me that it, he can hit as far as he wants to and attack and be as aggressive as he wants off the tee, give himself all those positions, um, those ideal positions going into the green. If he doesn't putt better, he's not going to win the tournament. It's plain and simple. You can't lose, you know, more than a stroke per round, which is what he's done in his master's career on the greens. You can't do that and win at Augusta national. It's, it's just not possible. So, um, I like that he's uh, more confident without the green reading books. I think that is, that's a very interesting thing that maybe he's just telling himself because almost nobody, I can't think of anybody who is more visibly reliant on using that green reading book. Now, um, I don't know the ins and outs of his process getting to that, getting to the point where he hits the ball, obviously, but there's no more player, no player more visible using that thing than, than Bryson is week to week on tour and they're not available at Augusta national. So um, the numbers say the numbers say he needs to get better on the greens, plain and simple. He talked about the fact that he's actively worked on speeding up his play, and he he said he'd heard the feedback from around the world, and that he'd actually worked on uh, speeding up his routine, and that in a lot of ways it had actually helped him. But that this week he expected to slow down pretty significantly around the greens because he was going to have to do a lot more sort of intuitive reading of what's going to happen out there. So. We'll see. I mean, it, the most interesting thing is listening to all the other players get asked about him this week because we talked about it beforehand. It really is becoming Tiger-esque and the players' reactions is, is you know, similar to what was happening when in, in the 90s as, as everybody was getting asked <laughs> about Tiger and before he went on the tear, they were getting annoyed and pissed off and sort of chippy in the press conferences. That was starting to happen today across... You know, Brooks handled it 
decently well, although his general demeanor was pissed off and angry through the whole thing. <laughs> Because I think he's just pissed <laughs> off and angry and ready to come kick ass this week. But all the guys are—it's starting to grade on them. Yeah, you could tell a little bit. Um, they had, JT got a couple of questions, and towards the end, um, there are a few inferences. Like, yeah, you know, I don't feel like I need to swing. I don't need to swing the club 130 miles an hour and hit it 370 yards. I don't feel like I need to do that. I hit it pretty far. It wasn't like it was downplaying what Bryce has achieved. He was very complimentary about it. But you could tell it was a little bit like, hey, you know. I'm a top five player in the world. I'm a major champion. Like I'm one of the favorites to win this week too, guys. Let's talk about my game. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that for sure. And it, like you said, it reminded me some of, um, I remember Woody Austin famously bristling about getting asked a bunch about Tiger Woods. And it's one of the overwhelming impressions of him I had for a long time. My first thing I thought about was how he reacted to being asked about Tiger because he snapped back at a reporter once. So that's your legacy, Woody Austin. Well, that and falling in the water at the, was it the President's Cup or whatever it was? Yes, yes. Yeah, That's the yeah. life, the one for a lifetime. <laughs> right. So, JR, as we, everybody would expect, we've naturally touched on two or three of the most important key characteristics and attributes that have, you know, we, we, we know Augusta year over year. It's got to be strokes gained approach. There's got to be greens and regulation. It's got to be strokes gained putting. If you look at a couple of other kind of attributes that are a little bit further down the list, and and the reason I'm asking is because this field is so gosh darn loaded. It really does feel like to me, 12 guys could win. If we're going to try and, and differentiate between 12 legit contenders and then a whole second tier of guys that also, if they everything comes together in a perfect week, those guys can win also. But if we're really trying to we have those three categories lined up. What other categories below the, those top three are you guys looking at? So conversationally, you'll always hear that experience is important at, at Augusta National, right? You hear that year in and year out. Tiger talked about it a little bit today in his press conference earlier. Um, and statistically, it bears it out. Once you get to about 20 to 25 career rounds at Augusta National, your play, your expected play improves. There's a There's a tangible... We'll get into all the super specific details, but once you get to about 20, 25, 30 rounds, which is like where, for example, Rory McIlroy is in his career at the Masters, you see a marked improvement there between like the 30th and 45th career rounds at the Masters. So there's a definite value um, from experience. Now, whether that's knowing the intricacies of the greens or um, you know where to where to hit your tee shot, where to miss on approach shots. Not everybody has to start to their master's career that Jordan Spieth does. No one does. So um, typically it takes players a few years and there's some experience ingrained in there. Um, I will say too that as important as strokes gained approach is, there are a few recent outliers in terms of players who have had great success and weren't the best iron player in the field. But it's so far on the extreme. Like Patrick Reed a couple of years ago, he absolutely chipped and putted his ass off. He was unbelievable chipping and putting does. that week. Yeah, there are ways to make up strokes with short game. It's just so much more difficult than the difference you can make up with your irons. So um, you know, experience is something, though, that has value. And it's not just a conversational thing. There is a tangible, empirical piece of information that tells you that, that there's value there from playing more rounds at Augusta National in your career. Does that make you suspicious of Morikawa and Matthew Wolf this week? Maybe a little bit. And I think, you know... Uh, the other thing to factor in here that's so unique about this year is that there's no patrons. There hasn't been crowds. And you wonder how, look, Matthew Wolf has played two majors and he's finished fourth and second. I mean, that literally has not happened in the modern era of golf to do that through your first two major championship starts. 
both of those majors, there were no fans. What role did that play? Was the, was the pressure off of Morikawa, a guy playing in a second major when he was at Harding Park and was able to win? Um, will that make it a little bit easier for first-timers, for guys maybe like a, a Jason Kokrak who's never played there before and has, has got some good form, hits it a long way, may fit the course pretty well? Um, you, you factor that in a little bit. But look, there's a reason why no first-time winner has won at Augusta National since Fuzzy Zeller in 1979. It's, it's pretty unprecedented. Jordan Spieth got close in 2014 uh, when he got clipped by Bubba Watson at the end. But um, it's really difficult to go there in your first appearance, no, no past you know, uh, reps to, to fall back on, um, maybe not the voice of Ben Crenshaw in your ear like Jordan Spieth had, and get out there and, and contend. It's really difficult. As you're modeling all this stuff out, and I do want to hear sort of what the course fit looks like as you get closer. We've talked about the sort of coefficients of heart and and other externalities. How do you how do you this week factor in some of those externalities? Like, hey, they haven't played it first, or they haven't played it before, or John Rahm has hit two hole, holes in one on practice rounds, including skipping it in on 16, and he's used up all his good shots. Uh, how do you and it's his birthday. And it's his birthday. <laughs> and it's his birthday. <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry, but you got to fade Rom. He used up all his good shots. It's going to be a mess. Oh, you're going to fade him up because of that. He's my guy. I mean, we're only like 15 minutes in. Rom is my pick. And and thanks to, to JR and some of the other statisticians out there, Rom leads the field in over the last three years in par four scoring and par five scoring. And the reason that he sucked is because is of his, well, sucked is, is, is overstating it. The reason he hasn't won yet is because <laughs> of his par three scoring. And here we have two holes in one already. Uh, he, solved my thunder. he solved the his equation. 40th anniversary of Seve's win. Like, and, and he's already talking about how he just has to remind himself that every hole at Augusta except the par fives ends up playing over par so he can play amnesia golf and move on to the next hole. But I, I don't know. How do you feel about Rom, JR? Uh, well, Hal stole my my gold statistic there. The par threes. Uh, I shouldn't have shared it on Twitter then. If, if <laughs> come in here and steal my thunder. But no, it's, That's there's, all we do. there's a little bit of reality to it. But one thing that correlates perfectly with that, that over the last three years, John Rom leads the Masters in strokes gained off the tee. What's the holes where you're not hitting driver? Par threes. So, I mean, he's a guy who's driven the ball brilliantly. Um, he's got some pretty good putting numbers at Augusta National over the last few years. Um, I mean, he's as talented as anybody. He can win anywhere. It feels like a matter of time. I don't know how I could factor in karma and holding in a skipped shot on a, on a practice round, factor that into it with his birthday. And I, I, I don't know. Those are tough uh, human factors to plug in, but um Something, something interesting to consider. So are you saying that he's used his good karma up with the hole-in-one on the par three? It's like the winning the par round? three contest. It's why guys would like intentionally miss putts on the last hole of the par three contest because they don't want to win it. I think Rom has effectively won the par three contest by hitting a hole-in-one on four yesterday and skipping it in on 16 today. He may need an addendum to the record book then in the par three contest. Like, by the way, John Rom in the year it was canceled ace two par threes during practice. Thereby Maybe effectively winning be, the par three contest. Yeah. yeah, de facto, ipso facto, whatever, you're you're the par three champion. So um, we'll see if that, maybe he ends the curse there. I'm not sure. I don't, um, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for him to end the curse. I don't like all this negative talk when it comes to John Rahm. He's, he's my pick. But before we get to some other guys and try and start splitting some hairs among the 10 or 12 guys that really have a chance, you in the newsletter um, that came out today, the 2020 Masters preview from 15th Club, 
you identify um, a couple trends in terms of the overall scoring, the improved quality of of um, scoring by the field over the last handful of years. We're talking about how many guys uh, fin- finish double digits under par. We're talking about how many guys are hitting the greens in regulation. We're talking about the quality of scrambling. And I want to let you talk about that a little bit. And then the question I have for you is, you know, is there any reason to think that those trends wouldn't continue? So the number you're talking about last year, the field scoring average was 71.9, which was the lowest in the history of the Masters tournament for a single week. There were 11 players who finished double digits under par last year at the Masters. The previous record was six. So it blew it out of the water. Um, There were a couple of factors that played into that. The winds were pretty docile. Um, it was, there were some soft greens for a couple of days. Remember we started the final round early because of the incoming storms that Sunday. So, um, weather played a role throughout the week, as much rain as we're expecting. And as there's not a lot of wind forecast, uh, we could be subject to it again. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure Augusta national is going to do, they've done everything in their power to get this golf course ready an unprecedented time on the schedule. And now with the rains coming, um, you know, I, I don't see any reason not to expect that we're going to see some more low scores, you know, like or maybe six months ago, I would have thought maybe colder temperatures and we might see a, a 2007 type situation with Zach Johnson one where it was just frigid in the mornings for a couple of those days. But um, we're going to be, we're definitely not having any frost delays this week. Um, we're going to see some soft greens. Uh, last year, it was the highest field greens and regulation percentage, the highest percentage the field hit the greens at the masters in 18 years. Um, we could see something similar to that this week, depending on how much rain we get. Yeah. And, and the reason that I wanted to go through all that is because the books are starting to put out their scoring props and, you know, a couple of the things that you see out there, I think, um, Westgate, Jeff Sherman set the potential winning score at, uh, minus 14 and a half. Um, you know, which side of that do you like? Uh, I saw a, a prop out there. How many players will finish under par? And that number was 17 and a half. You know, will will 18 players finish under par this week? And then there was a uh, prop for what the cut will be. And I think it was like uh, three over was the line that they picked. And I just felt like the way it looks as we sit here right now without having full feel for the, the severity of the thunderstorms and how disruptive they are, to the schedule feels to me from the quality of this field and the trends that you've mentioned that this is likely to be a high scoring week that the cut to me seems like around even that uh, the winning score is going to be in that 17 to 19 class potentially like that, that kind of stuff. That's the way as I, we sit here on, on, you know, the Wednesday preview, it's kind of looking to me, but the weather will dictate all of that. Yeah, I think so. And and look, the scoring average for the field was low, obviously the lowest it's ever been last year, but the winning score was still 13 under. It wasn't yep. like it was something that blew everything out of the water. It was, you know, it was truly one of the tightest final leaderboards. And that that's what added to how great it was when Tiger came through and won too, right? But um, the score to par the last five years, Jordan Spieth won at 18 back in 2015. That tied the record with Tiger in 97. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they'll get to 18 for a win this week, but if you get a lot of rain, I mean, it's supposed to play a little bit longer, but you know, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to these guys. I mean, if they're able to attack pens and give themselves birdie opportunities, I tend to err on the side of maybe around like 14, 15 under par as a winning score. It also sounds like the absence of patrons is going to bring into play a few areas that otherwise wouldn't be 
off the tee that really had the potential to bring down average scores, certainly on 13, certainly on 18, and maybe a few other holes by a significant margin. So I think that's going to contribute overall. Guys are going to be able to land the ball in places they just can't uh, in, in any other year that's not a November Masters. What, right. There's one question I do have, though, in terms of landing it in some of those places where patrons would normally be, will it be more penalizing to miss over there because the grass isn't trampled down? Um, maybe that's a little bit of an aspect of it. But from a visual standpoint, I could see guys getting out there earlier this week in their practice rounds today, tomorrow, whatever it is, and finding landing areas that you just traditionally don't even think about, you know, because of the open nature of the golf course and the fact that there's no, you know, there's no viewing areas. I'm going to mess up the terminology, but you know what I mean? There's no grandstands or snack bars or anything like that. There's going to be places where you can land it and, you know, it opens up new opportunities, just like you said, Nathan. So um, yeah, that's going to be one interesting aspect to look at. Um, and I think a lot of guys are probably the wheels are turning, especially if you can hit it a long way. If you're a Tony Finau, or Dustin Johnson or Bryson, of course, uh, you could find places that you may not normally have thought about uh, in past years. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply this episode is brought to you by hotels.com i was traveling internationally last year i was in mallorca i didn't know the island well i said let me head to the north head towards the water let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available something preferably on the beach maybe even a gym not only did i get those things there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, 
all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Well, let's go ahead and start talking about some guys, and we've mentioned him a couple times. He is the defending champion, and to pick up on your point, you know, the experience and, and strategy elements of this do have a different feel and flavor. And we believe, I believe, I won't say we, that there is nobody uh, superior to Tiger Woods when it comes to strategizing about and around uh, Augusta National as proven by how he won last year. And why the reason why he's the defending champion, he has been out of form. No top 20 finishes in his last seven starts. Uh, nothing for us Tiger truthers to point to in his performances to say, oh, he's close or it's just this one aspect of his game that's holding him back because it's kind of different aspects of his game that's holding him back over the last handful of starts. And we just haven't seen very much of him. Uh, what is your sense and sentiment as it relates to Tiger Woods this week, JR? Before I answer the Tiger question, I'd like to point out you're still clutching the gnome close no, to your chest. It, it, it never stops. The gnome I just stops. looked down and realized I, I had zoned out for a little bit talking and then looked down as you're asking that question and he's still being held. It's Masters Wednesday. The I, gnome stays. I'm not telling you to ditch it at all. I was just pointing yeah. it out that it's still there. This is going to be a 45-minute cuddle <laughs> session with a gnome. <laughs> Tiger. Uh, so <laughs> going into last year's Masters, look, it wasn't like a Jack Nicklaus in 1986 situation where it came out of nowhere. Um it was something that was being built towards, whether it was the win at Eastlake, um, a lot of high finishes. His iron play statistically was really strong going into the Masters. You can make an analytical case and not sound like a Tiger, you know, fanboy that he could win going into the Masters last year. There was a realistic chance of that. There's not a lot of evidence going into this week that that, that exists. Just He just hasn't played a ton of golf. I mean, he had one pretty strong round. Um, at Sherwood a few weeks ago, um, but it's just not a lot to base it on. You know, his putting numbers have been really poor when he has played in 2020. Totally, just the total antithesis of what he's been throughout his entire career. There's just not that same kind of staircase upward to victory that you could kind of envision like we had last year going into Augusta. So, um, like I wouldn't put anything past Tiger doing this. There is one note I looked up that I have to share because it goes back so far. So, Tiger's trying to successfully defend a major title this week, obviously. The last guy to do it was old Tom Morris. And when old Tom did it in 1861, I believe it was, the field had eight players, the course had 12 holes, and there was no prize money given. So it's been a very long time since someone of Tiger's age, advanced as it may be for professional sports, has successfully defended a major title. I don't see it happening, um, not for that old Tom reason, but for the performance stuff I talked about earlier. Um, but hey, it's Tiger Woods. Anything is possible, especially after what we saw last year. All right. So Tiger don't think has a great chance to win. I am going to go ahead and gamble on him to make the cut. And I'm also, I appreciate the books makers offering up a head to head of Tiger against Phil. Nice. I love, I love the nice, uh, old guy, uh, head to head. And Tiger, uh, you have to lay a little juice with with him, but it was it was a pretty reasonable price. He was like minus one forty five or something like that. It wasn't the two to one that you've had to pay or or more uh, in regular uh, PGA Tour events that feature 
Phil. Let's go ahead and talk about Phil um, real quick. It has not been um, any kind of performance that you can, again, look at and think that this 50-year-old man's got any chance at all to uh, contend, let alone make it to the weekend. Tell me why I'm wrong, JR. This isn't a PGA Tour Champions event, is it? Because, I mean, he's really good in those. Sandy Lyle's playing. That's true, yeah. Uh, and Longer, Bernard Longer's in there. Yeah. He, he wins every week out there, still doing it. So, no, I look, the other thing that's interesting to me, is he really going to put a 48-inch driver in the bag like he talked about? Like, all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, somebody on Twitter said, yeah, so he can hit it um, 50 yards further left or right. Yeah, deeper into the woods. Right. He's going to hit it in the Wendy's. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's gonna be in the Hooters parking lot with John Daly on the Washington Road. Um, yeah, it, it, look, uh, any little advantage you could try to gain, maybe Phil sees something or theorizes he can he can do something. He's the original experimenter, right? For the last 20, 25 years, we've seen this guy do this. Um, usually not going into a Masters, but he's done it at the U.S. Open. You remember the Frankenwood back in the day, and you know he's always been trying new things out. I I don't expect a ton out of Phil. I really like your idea of hammering that. Tiger versus Phil, even if you have a little lay a little juice there for Tiger head to head against Phil Mickelson, Tiger still remains competitive and on the regular tour, not the, not PGA tour champions. Tiger's never missed the cut as a pro at Augusta national. Um, I would definitely heavy lean towards Tiger in that head to head. So we've got this upper echelon of players who we all expect are going to be in the hunt for their first masters. And if we draw it up, it's the DJ it's JT, it's Rom, uh, it's Brooks. Maybe you put Xander in there, and there's a few others. What's interesting about this year is it feels like the conversation after this tournament, yes, will be about the winner, but we're also going to be talking about why some of these guys can't get off the schneid and win the Masters or win their first or second major, which will be interesting. That There'll be a lot of sort of Monday morning quarterbacking around all that. But as you look at that upper echelon of guys, and I think I know your answer based on the stats that you have been focused on, but who do you think is going to win this week? My pick, even back in January, February, before the pandemic hit, I was asked who's going to win the Masters this year. And I said, Justin Thomas. And I'm going to stick with Justin Thomas. Um, He's improved his Masters finish each of the last three years. He's been the best, most consistent iron player on the planet the last two years. When you look at the numbers, um, he led the field in strokes gained T to green at, the, at Augusta last year. He just putted miserably, and that's why he wasn't more of a factor on the weekend. I'm going to stick with Justin Thomas to win. That being mainly because I'm a committed man, and I'm going to I'm devoted. I'm sticking to that line, even though I keep looking at all this information and watching what Dustin Johnson is doing over the last couple of months. Positive COVID tests aside, I'll give you an, uh, one number. Our predicted model has Dustin Johnson, not Bryson, but Dustin is the overwhelming favorite. We have him at about 15% win probability entering the tournament. We have Xander Shoffley second at about half of that. So based on course fit, player performance, uh, numbers going into the week, Dustin Johnson's six consecutive top six finishes. I mean, that's staggeringly consistent golf. Basically average golf for him is what he did last week in Houston when he finished runner up. No stairs in his rental house. Right. The last, he better be in a, a, like a one, one floor bungalow or something. Like the last time we talked about DJ like this going into the masters, he had the three straight wins in 2017. And then of course the stairs happened as we said. So, um, 
looking at it, it's oh man, it's tough to pick against DJ. And I think, I think rightfully DJ should be the betting favorite and not Bryson. I understand how the, the money and stuff will, will impact uh, how that's uh, how, how the bookmakers uh, put Bryson on top. Um, but I'll stick with JT as, as the guy who I think is going to win, but man, it's tough to ignore what Dustin Johnson's doing. I just get scared about the way he has swiped his drives right down the stretch over the last couple of months in the clutch. Uh, it, it, he's just, there's something that triggers in his head that, that has made it hard. Now, listen, he won in Memphis. He's, he's, he's a man, but you're talking about JT, not, 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 not DJ. Yes. His pick yeah. of his pick of Thomas DJ, yeah. DJ. I'm worried about the, uh, again, I'm worried about him slipping in the Hooters parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> J- JT, I'm worried about what happens down the stretch as he as he you know goes outside in a little bit on those on the driver, and you do not want to be right coming down the stretch on any of those holes. Valid concern. That's a valid concern with JT. I'm going to stick with those iron numbers though in my uh, in my forthright. You know, I'm rolling with it. Well, and and you you mentioned kind of the behavior of of the books, and we are looking for value here on fairway roll and jr and and you know interestingly you, you have four guys at better than 10 to 1 odds uh and then xander's is sitting right at 10 to 1 and jt for whatever reason hasn't captured the public's eye he's available at 12 to 1 so if you're looking amongst those top five guys uh and if you have xander in that top five i i don't necessarily have him there even mm-hmm. but uh uh, JT at 12 to one starts to look like a little bit of value um, with respect to his peers. The way that Nate set up his question to you, though, talking about guys um, that we were looking at and which, you know, waiting for a guy to get off the schneid, he mentioned a bunch of names, but did, didn't include Rory McElroy in his uh, description of, of guys that really, you know, we, we have been anxiously and eagerly, at least me, I'm a Rory fan, yeah. uh, not quite a Rory truther, wanting him to go ahead and cross this one off from and get his career grand slam. And we've been sort of theorizing um, since the news of, of the, his, his impending fatherhood and then the baby's arrival that there might be a baby bump, that it could be, have a liberating effect and you know some of the psychological kind of aspects to it. What about like the state of his game? We know that he has a great track record at Augusta, but I'll let you go ahead and kind of share some of those insights and then your own assessment of where his game is at the moment. Yeah, so it goes right back to iron play. I know anytime Rory struggles, um, and struggle for him is a relative term, struggling is average golf basically for Rory, but anytime he's not in peak form, we tend to blame his putter, right? But at Augusta National over the last five years, he's ranked 18th in strokes game putting during that span, which is you know, in the upper third of players who have qualified, he's 24th in strokes gain approach. He's actually worse in strokes gain approach than he is in putting. He's not bad in either statistic. It's just the thing that's held him back the most. And since the season restart, look, he was soaring when the, when the pandemic hiatus hit. Going into the players, it looked like he might be the first guy to go back to back at Sawgrass, looking like he might be the prohibitive master's favorite at that point. His tee to green and iron play numbers were through the roof. But since the season restarted, He's ranked, where is it, 68th of 128 players in strokes gained approach. He's, I mean, he's been a below average iron player since since the return to, to play. His putting hasn't necessarily been that bad. It's been about what it's been throughout his career. He's just, he's got something in his his uh, his approach game that needs fixing. Now he almost he seemed like he was on the door at the U.S. Open uh, before you know he got totally derailed early in that round. 
um, and Bryson ended up running away with it, but he was part of the story for, you know, three and a half days at winged foot. Um, he's got to, he's got to hit his irons better. He's got to do that. And the other number that I think is fascinating is <laughs> over the last five years, he's four under par on the first nine. He's 24 under par on the second nine. He has the best score to par of anybody on holes 10 through 18 at Augusta national. So maybe it's something to do with getting off to a better start in his rounds. And he might be helped by that split T situation where he gets to start off on 10, one of those first two rounds, or maybe just the holes fit his eye better on that back side. I don't know for sure. Um, but he's got to play the first, the first nine better. His irons have got to be better and better specifically, not just what he's done at Augusta, but what he's been showing the last five, six months. Who are we not thinking about who, who that sits outside of that group that won't raise any eyebrows by being on the leaderboard Sunday has a better chance than you think we're giving him. No one talks about Patrick Cantlay. Um, he just, he won his last start at the Zozo championship. He, he was among the leaders in, in strokes gained T to green. He had the best closing 36 hole score of anybody um, last year at the masters. Remember he had that great Sunday charge and, and put himself near the top of the leaderboard. Um, he's just not as flashy, I guess. Um, the other guy who defines not as flashy is the guy who won the scoring title in the 19, 2019, 2020 season, Webb Simpson. The guy has, I think two or three finishes outside the top 20 in like the last nine months. He's just, just staggeringly consistent week to week. Um, he played, he had his best masters finish of his career last year, finished in the top 10. He was right there on the precipice as well. So those are two guys who never get the pre-tournament hype that, you know, uh, like Brooks or DJ or uh, JT or Rory get, uh, but they're two really consistent players. And Cantlay's playing obviously exceptional golf. He beat a great field in his last start. Um, I picked, I hammered him to win the PGA and it didn't work out. So I won't pick him to win this week, but he's certainly somebody who deserves some attention. We have been seeing since uh, the, the commencement of the so-called 2020 slash 2021 season, which began in October, uh, you know, it hurts the head to try and figure all out, but a um, bunch of old guys, old, it's been old, old guy uh, success out on the PGA tour. Some names we haven't heard in, in, in nearly, you know, decade, Brian Gay, the last time we, we, we heard anything from him was, you know, uh, seven or eight years ago. Same thing with, with Stuart Sink. Um, I'm looking at a couple guys that are, you know, not quite as old as those two gentlemen, but, you know, some guys, some OGs at uh, Augusta National uh, that I, I think I'm going to sprinkle a little, definitely going to play top 20, maybe also top 10. And I'm looking at Bubba. He's one of them, and Louis Oosthuizen is is the other. Oh, I love it when you put a finger up when you when you agree with me, Jr. Let's let's hear it. Let's hear it. So that was the f I knew you were going with that name because Bubba has been a bit of a statistical darling for me over the last six weeks or so. He's really playing some really good unheralded golf recently. Um, since the new season started, which is a headache, obviously you get your brain around, but it's a big collection of players who played at least ten rounds, so it's a small sample. But it's you know legitimate enough to to say a guy's developing some form. Among those players with ten or more rounds, he's second in strokes gained approach. We don't think about Bubba Watson as a great approach player. We think of the big pink driver and the creativity. You know that's what we think of. But when Bubba Watson is at the top of his game, he's at least above average with his approach play. And right now, his approach play is arguably as good as it's ever been in his career from a statistical standpoint. Uh, he ranked top 10 in the field in strokes gained approach in each of his last two starts. And this is something he's building on from the previous season where he jumped 51 spots in strokes gained approach from 20, uh, 2019 to the 2020 season. So he's somebody who's really interesting to me because he's been playing some good golf. 
And obviously we know his pedigree having won two masters there before. Louis is always fascinating because how, that, that man is about seven strokes away. If you think about it from having like five majors, it's unbelievable. And his only PGA tour win is still the win at St. Andrews. That's the only one he's ever won. It's like an official PGA tour event. It's one of the most fascinating careers in professional golf of the last 20 years or so. Um, but anytime you get to a big event, it's like the man gear, it just puts it into another gear. I don't know if it's focus or the big stage or what it might be, but uh, Louis saves his best golf for these big events. So um, I, I could see, I could see top 20 for Louis. Absolutely. I don't know about top 10, um, but he tends to pop up out of nowhere and do some things, but I really do like your call on Bubba Watson. House, can I say something? I want you to say something. Frankie Molinari uh, choked away the Masters last year with a ball in Ray's Creek on 12 and a blow up on 15. 15 was really the one. Last week, he shot a 66 on Sunday mm. to finish T15 in Houston. Mm. And he is 125 to 1 right now. He hasn't played a ton of golf. Frankie, Frankie basically went months and months. I know everyone took a break in the middle of the year, obviously, when the pandemic hit. But he, his was a little more extended, and he doesn't have as many rounds under his belt. You're maybe seeing some signs of him getting back to where he was, but it's still not to the point where I would be super confident just based on the fact that he hasn't played a whole lot of golf. He, that's an interesting call, though, to say that he played well on Sunday. If he, you're t- taking somebody completely out of left field to show up, and that's somebody that the Masters always brings out the regular sports fan who's not into golf week in, week out, right? So they might see Francesco Molinari on the leaderboard, and golf fans would be just like, "What? where the hell did he come from? But the regular sports fans like, oh, yeah, Molinari, he almost won last year at the Masters. He's always there. Makes total sense. Yeah, so, he's always around. <laughs> he's always there. He won the Open Championship. When really, if you follow the sport week in, week out, you know, he hasn't been part of it for a while. He's been at home. You know, he was, I think he's, his family was severely impacted by the, um, by the, the pandemic. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting call. I hadn't given a lot of thought to Francesco going into the week, but you know, it's, which is tough to imagine considering how close he was to winning the masters, how few mistakes he made before that second nine on Sunday. Yeah. He'll probably lose to Larry Mize now that we talked about him. So, well, he's, he's th- <laughs> better than three to one odds to finish in the top 20. You still have to lay juice if you want to bet on him um, to make the cut. I don't like for a guy that I root for, Frankie Molinari, I don't want to bet on him to miss the cut. Uh, I just like Frankie Onions back in the mix. This is the return to the scene of the crime, and maybe he can you know, jumpstart everything again from here. Well, let's hope. All right, so we, we've hit on mo- most of the big cats. We've ta- take, taken care of you know, trying to come up with some angles for the upper echelon. Um, Nate asked you to identify a couple guys we haven't mentioned. We hit some old guys. We want to round out our, our uh, fantasy lineups, our DFS cards, maybe some, some value plays, top 20. We'll call these guys sleepers, um, even though I'm not going to play anybody that fits this category to actually win the golf tournament. But who, let's get some nice plays for guys that are going to make the cut and might threaten a top 20 or even possibly sneak into a top 10 uh, play. Definitely. So my first guy we actually have as the second best player this week in terms of outperforming uh, their previous play this season in terms of course fit at Augusta national uh, Victor Perez guy who plays on the European tour. He finished second at Wentworth a few weeks ago uh, to Tyrrell Hatton. Uh, he's just playing in his third major championship as his first masters top 25 at the PGA championship earlier this year. 
he's a guy who he's a really trying to hear about for years to come. He's been really consistently performing on the European tour for a little bit now. Um, I think he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on and get some really good value out of if you're rounding out a daily fantasy team. Uh, another player that I think the perception of him by the public was a little bit underestimated um, compared to what his performance metrics were um, up until he broke through with a victory recently is Jason Kokrak. Um, he's a really consistent player. His underlying stats, his strokes gain to the green, what he does week in, week out on tour were really solid. He had just never broke through with a victory until he did so. I think it was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. So um, I think he's somebody, I think he's also making his first master's appearance, but um, he makes a ton of birdies. He's a guy who's going to benefit from the course playing longer because of his you know, sheer ability to just pound the golf ball. Um, he's another guy who I think is he's well off the radar and rightfully so, but I think that his skill set fits pretty well for Augusta national. And, you know, he could be somebody that, that pops up on the leaderboard at some point this week. My guys, Frankie Molinari. And of course, it wouldn't be a fairway Roland golf podcast without me raising the specter of Jordan Spieth. <laughs> Jordan yeah. Spieth. Jordan Spieth. How can I, we not? Okay. Yeah. How can we do the talk about the masters and not talk about Jordan Spieth? If you're going to talk about Jordan Spieth before any golf tournament from now until the end of time, it's this one. Okay. So in the history of the masters among everybody who's played 20 or more rounds, Jordan Spieth is the leader all time in strokes gained total yes. per round of the Masters. Spieth is one. Number two is Ben Hogan. Number three is Tiger Woods. That's where you are in terms of history and how That's well he's good. played this golf tournament. Jordan Spieth, strokes gained approach over the last five years at the Masters, gains a stroke and a half per round. Yes. Nobody else is gaining more. Nobody else is gaining more than one stroke. So Keep he's gaining preaching. a half stroke on everybody. That's the end of the sermon. Brother, I'm sorry. Like, God, that's all he can do for you. Usually, there, usually there's a third bullet. Well, I, I will say, going into the unpromising scattershot form, and he played okay, finished in the top 25. He's going to outperform what we've been seeing simply because there's something about him in this golf course. The nuances he understood from a very young age getting out there, you know, he's going to get to play it another 40 times throughout his life uh, in the Masters. The scuba gear he'll need for Ray's Creek. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, look, history is on his side in terms of what he's done in the past. The present is not necessarily there for 2020. Well, that's the beauty of uh, the Masters. That's the beauty of Augusta National. You walk onto those grounds, time stops, whatever's going on in the outside world. It goes on hold. You have to leave your phone at the door. You just lose touch with the world and with reality. And when we're in that suspended animation mode, why not Jordan Spieth? What, what, what better year? What better year to suspend reality? Well, Please. 2020. That's exactly right. It really would uh, uh, defy all expectations and be the most 2020 thing ever for Jordan Spieth to come on and and do it again. And nothing would make Nathan Hubbard happier. I'm all in. He is Justin Ray from the 15th Club. Get on Twitter. Follow him. Uh, JR, I saw that you guys are doing daily reports. Um, where are those getting published once the Masters gets going? Right. After each round, uh, you can find those at The Athletic. We're happy to be teaming up with them this year for the Masters. So um, check it out on The Athletic app or theathletic.com. We'll be with you after each round of the Masters this week. That's uh, outstanding. Always a pleasure, my friend. I hope you haven't drank all of those Heinekens already. You need some green bottles for the weekend. 
I'm good. The, the, the refrigerator is fully stocked, amigo. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. House, once again, thank you for snuggling with the gnome for the entire pod. It's the Wednesday of the Masters, Nate. I am in my symbiosis mode. I'm thinking uh, green grass thoughts, and the homie is right here by my heart. Good vibes just emanating. Just, yes, it's, good it's, vibes it's emanating. What it needs that's, to be. that's what it's all about. <laughs> all right, my birdie buddies, my par-saving pals, there you have it. Uh, we have broken it down. There is lots of advice out there to go ahead and invest uh, your capital and however you want. Maybe some head-to-heads. We've got the top 10s, the top 20s, and some winners out there. Best of luck to everybody. Nate and I will be back Sunday uh, afternoon, evening. This is uh, this tournament actually is going to end earlier than uh, we're accustomed to because they have to get it in before it gets dark. And CBS wants to show some football games uh, this weekend. <laughs> but uh, we will be back Sunday with a recap. There will be a green jacket. And depending on who wins, I might be holding this gnome um, in a, next to a different part of my body. Until then! My Eagle enthusiasts, please hit him straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.